Hey, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're really excited and happy to be back for another episode this week. So last week, I had so much fun telling you the story of the Cheshire murders, and I cannot wait to hear this story that you've been like teasing me with, dangling over my head, not letting me look anything up or even telling me what case it is, and it's driving me nuts. You know I don't like surprises, so... Yeah, well, I think that we need to do it like this from now on because the shock was real last week with the Cheshire murders because I didn't know anything about it. And when you started talking, I was like, no way. This is the weirdest stuff. Um, So, yeah, I'm excited to tell you all about it, too, because trust me, it's it's one for the books. I think you're going to really like it. Oh, girl. Yeah, so settle in, get cozy. Grab some clothes to fold or some put wine your seatbelt on. Mm-hmm. Some wine to drink. Not if you're driving. Not if your seatbelt's on. <laughs> don't. No, please don't drink and drive. We do not. Prom- we don't promote that. Or condone it. Absolutely not. No, ma'am. Now, drinking and riding your lawnmower or your alligator, that's a whole nother story. It kind of depends on the specs of your lawnmower. like Or your alligator. You know, Specs of your alligator. (laughs) Yeah, you might have a really fast alligator, and yeah, that could be dangerous for everyone involved, including the gator. So, yeah. Speaking of gators, we actually got recognized on Facebook this week in this group that Alyssa and I are in um, called Thrillaholics Psychological (laughs) Suspense and Mystery (laughs) Book Beat Group (laughs) because we love when we told you we love murder we're like in all these groups and yes somebody had posted this book that looked really good and Alyssa and I were chatting and we got recognized by um this girl who seems so cool and awesome we Mm -hmm. love her yes so shout out yes shout out to Michelle Schneider she's from Illinois so I know you probably don't have many alligators up there but Come on down, and we'll let you ride one of ours, girl. Yes, come visit us, and we'll get you a gator, girl. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so I am ready to hear about this case. Throw it at me. So my case this week is the story of the mainline murders. I've never heard of this. Yes. Okay, so this happened in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and I found a lot of stuff from crime bloggers that are specific to Philadelphia and like um, a really great uh, crime blog called Twisted Philly and it's apparently a super famous case. I think a lot of people listening have probably heard of it before but I had never heard of it and when I started reading I was intrigued and then the further I got it was like my jaw just kept dropping further and further and further. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. So If you don't know me and Alyssa, in a past life, both of us were high school English teachers. And I say in a past life. That was how many years ago? I don't know. Too many. But go on. Anyway, Alyssa and I were English teachers. We were high school English teachers for a while. Mm -hmm. We met in college, so that's what we were doing. And this story is about the murder of a woman named Susan Reinhardt, who was a high school English teacher. Oh, my God. So... I know, so that's why I got really interested when I very first saw it. And when I tell you, it just keeps coming and coming and coming. It, it's gonna blow your mind. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. 
Okay, so let's start off with Susan Reinert. She's a high school English teacher. She lives in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, which is basically just a district of suburban Philadelphia, and it's about 20 miles outside of the city. So mm -hmm. great place to live, raise a family, do that whole thing. Uh, she worked at Upper Marion High School, and reportedly all of her students absolutely loved her. She was an amazing teacher. Aww. And the principal at that time was J.C. Smith, and he also thought that she was great. She was um, loved. She felt really fulfilled by her job. She had two wonderful kids. Uh, first one was Karen. She was 11. And Michael, who was 10. She had been recently, but also amicably, divorced from her husband, Ken Reinhardt. Okay? So, recent divorce, but things are working out good for her. They're, they're pretty yeah. nice. See, I love that. Yeah, right? So, she right. seems like she has everything that she wants. A great career, two beautiful children, a really great supportive circle of friends. She's got a good co-parent in her ex-spouse. And um, the only thing that she really didn't have was a current relationship. Oh, she wanted a man. Yes, honey. She wanted mm. some romance. Mm -mm. She was looking for love. Mm -mm. So, okay. after some time passed... <laughs> She wanted to feel complete in just every aspect of her life. And so she started looking for a boyfriend. Oh, God. Don't tell me it was online dating. No, honey. Okay. It was not. This is the end of the 70s. Oh, I, I didn't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't even tell y'all when this was. Okay, so this was in, uh, <laughs> this is in around like 1978. Okay. okay. So, so I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Set in the stage. We're in 1978. Okay, that makes much more sense now because when you said she was, like, super fulfilled by her career and I'm thinking, like, about how I was when I was teaching high school English <laughs> and how fucking miserable it was. And I was like, this lady must be motherfucking St. Teresa because if she was fulfilled and everyone liked her, she must have been at the best school ever or it wasn't current times because these kids are bad. Continue She was back. <laughs> she was back in them paddling days, honey. Mm -hmm. She was out there just whipping them up in That's the shape. That's what shape. I like. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And while my experience teaching high school wasn't nearly as awful as yours was, <laughs> I didn't have very much fun with um, the fact that, you know, we don't get paid a livable wage. And right. there was also um, just administration stuff was right. Just, Right. political lines too much so 78 much purer time mm -hmm. in education okay. okay so susan was described as a quiet woman who okay. wore large glasses and she kept mostly to herself already love her introverts. yeah already yes. love her love her love the glasses love the hair when you see her you'll be like you got a whole vibe going on girl mm -hmm. so in 1978 Susan began dating a fellow teacher at school okay. who was also the head of the English department, and his name was William Bradfield. I will bet you that the students had a field day with that one. Oh. Talk about some gossip. Mm-hmm. For sure. Ugh. So let me tell you a little bit about William Bradfield. He was eloquent, well-educated. He was charming. He was tall. He had these pretty blue eyes and a big beard, and oh. notably, he had a way with the ladies. He okay. sounds like a Fabio Lumberjack. Oh, 
<laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I'm picturing. And he was also a devoted lover and follower of poet Ezra Pound. Oh, okay. Romantic. And he was just all around, like you said, a total lumberjack Fabio. Swoon. However, Susan Reinert was not his only partner. Ooh. What? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. So Susan didn't mind keeping their relationship on the down low because she mainly kept to herself anyway. She mm -hmm. wasn't that worried about it. Right. Bradfield, Bradfield, however, was busy denying that there was even a relationship between them at all. So, yes, he would tell fellow teachers and friends that he and Reinhardt were just colleagues and that he was not the least bit romantically interested in her. What a dig. I take that back. I am not swooning. <laughs> I am completely ugh with him already. Yes. So he told this to everyone, including the woman that he lived with, <gasps> Susan Myers. Wait, what? Yes. So including the other woman that he was in a relationship with, who he also lived with, Susan Myers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, strap in. I'm telling you, just get ready because okay. we're going down this hole. Okay. Right. So Susan Myers was also a teacher at the same high school. So two Susans? Yes, two Susans. Yes, oh, you're right. God. How so, did he keep that together? Jesus. I guess it was probably easy. You never have to worry about saying the wrong name. Yeah, I guess. But how do you remember which Susie you did what with? <laughs> I don't know. I've never had that problem. Um, so, <laughs> yes, she was a teacher at the same high school. Some sources say that Susan knew about a relationship that Bradfield had with this other teacher. Mm -hmm. But he assured Susan that he wanted to end this other relationship and start a future with Reiner. Typical. So he was telling her, don't worry about it. I'm going to break up with her. I want to be with you. Absolutely typical. So over time, Reinert became so enamored and in love with Bradfield and so certain of their happily ever after future that she believed, she actually believed that they were engaged. What? I can't find oh any sources. Yes, I can't find any sources that say that he actually proposed to her, but she believed that they were going to get married and that they were engaged. Well, let me tell you something. Unless you're on one knee with a ring, we're not engaged. <laughs> like, I absolutely, need it all. I need to know. We gotta, yeah. we gotta define the relationship. DTR. Yeah. It was actually so far for her that she changed the beneficiary on her life insurance policy from her brother and her two children to Bradfield. No. Yes. Oh. She made him the sole beneficiary, and she even added him to her health insurance. <gasps> So that he would inherit $733,000 should she die. Oh my god, wait. Okay, and this is our friend, teacher, the introvert Susan, not yeah. girlfriend, yes. live-in Susan. Yes, Susan Reinert, okay. who doesn't even have a real confirmation of the relationship, but she believes that they are engaged. Oh, honey. I know. Okay. So with the new insurance policy in which Reinard called Bradfield, quote, my intended husband, her children would not even get a penny. Oh, God. Ladies, ladies, not smart. Do not do 
it. No, absolutely not, girl. It ain't worth it. Ever. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Unless he is their daddy. Right. That don't that don't need to be happening. Mm-mm. So, in June 1979, so they've been, you know, this is the next year, right? Okay. Susan planned a short trip with her children to Allentown, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. She had a speaking engagement with an organization that was called Parents Without Partners on Saturday morning, June 23rd. So she and the kids packed her car, which was an orange Plymouth hatchback. Oh, wow. Totally noticeable totally, car. Totally, right? totally noticeable. <laughs> Flashy. And <laughs> she left She left Ardmore on Friday night. Mm-hmm. On Saturday morning, Susan never gave that speech. And she and her children seemed to disappear into thin air. What? All of them? All of them. By Monday morning, Susan Reinert's car was noticed by a passing car, which was abandoned in a hotel parking lot in Harrisburg. And her nude body was found in a fetal position in the hatchback of her car, with her hands tied with chains, her body brutally beaten, her face bruised, and both eyes blackened. Oh, my God. Carol and Michael, her children, were nowhere to be found. Oh, my God. Okay. Yes. Wow. That is That seems so personal. Absolutely. Stuffed in the back of her own car, chained up, beaten to bits. And mm. both of her kids are gone. So, I mean, did they find her belongings with her? Did Was there money missing? Her purse? Like, what was going on? Well, from what I can tell, basically... All that they reported finding was just her nude body chained up in the fetal position in the trunk. Nothing else was there. Her kids were gone. Oh, God. Everything with her was gone. So an autopsy report determined that the cause of death was actually a lethal dose of morphine. What? Oh, my God. This is, like, crazy. Absolutely. So let's look at who did this or who could have possibly done this, right? Okay. So... As it turns out, the two children were not the only people who were reported missing during this time period, but more on that later. We'll come back to that. Okay. So from the beginning of this murder investigation, prosecutors believed that the inheritance was one of the motives for Reinhardt's death and that Bradfield was one of the prime suspects, Mm -hmm. right? Right, of course. Because as soon as you find out you're getting $730,000... And you're not really that connected to her anyway. Why wouldn't you kill her? Right. Even after the years of investigating the murders, there was not enough evidence to charge Bradfield with Reinhardt's death. But there was enough evidence for prosecutors to charge Bradfield with theft by deception, stemming from allegations that Bradfield had convinced her, Susan Reinhardt, to withdraw $25,000 from her bank and invest with him in what turned out to be a bogus investment. What the fuck? Who just has 25, like, just like the Cheshire murders. Like, you know, these people just have, like, thousands and thousands of dollars in their account. Like, sure, let me just invest in this monkey grooming scheme. Like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) oh, man, these people. Okay. Especially an English teacher. Yeah. A single mom. A single mom who's an English teacher. Like, what is she doing? She must have been a saver. She must have been a saver. And I guess she. this goes to show like how absolutely obsessed she was with him because yeah. she thought that he 
could give her and do anything, and she trusted him completely, even with all this money. Right. Again, girls, if a man asks you for $25,000, probably <laughs> not a good look. Probably okay? not. You, mm -mm. Mm -mm. You, need to, you need to get help. Yeah, no, go away. <laughs> get away from that. So right. the, police, the police knew he had something to do with this, right? Yeah. They just couldn't figure out what exactly. So they went ahead and arrested him and put him in jail for the theft by deception. Like so, instantly? Well, as soon as they found out that... They could charge him oh, with okay. theft by deception. Okay. Yeah. So while he was in jail awaiting trial, Bradfield made what many believe to be the most brazen of all of his actions. 72 hours before his trial was to begin, Bradfield filed a suit from his jail cell to collect Reinhardt's life insurance money. <gasps> that dig. How bold is that? Oh, he sounds like Ted Bundy. Totally, like so full of himself. 72 hours before his trial, he files a motion and says, Hey, uh, am I going to get that insurance money? Yeah, like, wouldn't you be like, Dude, hey, right now it's not a good look for me. So I'm probably going to wait till like after I'm not convicted to grab that money. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. You'd think his lawyer would be like, Hmm. Bad call. Probably <laughs> not a good move. Let's. <laughs> Let's uh, let's wait on that one, right? But no, he filed for the motion. Wow. So, also arrested in connection with this $25,000 theft was another one of Bradfield's girlfriends. What? Yes, a third girlfriend. Mm. Okay. Her name is Wendy Ziegler, and she is a former student of Bradfield's. <gasps> oh, my God. Yes, oh, that um... he was... Also seeing during the same time he was dating Susan. Both Susans? Both Susans. So he was dating all three of them at the same time. She's a former student. And then she also helped him finagle this $25,000 out of Reinhardt. Girl, this sounds like an episode of Riverdale. Doesn't this sound like a movie? Yeah. Well, lucky for you, they did make a movie about it. Ooh. So I'm going to give you that information later. Mm -hmm. Oh. Police allege that she had hidden the money in a safety deposit box at Bradfield's request, and he had later withdrawn the money the day that Reinhardt and her children disappeared. Oh, you mean the $25,000 for the bunk investment? Yes. Okay. So, while investigators were not really that interested in sending Wendy Ziegler to jail, they did want to scare her into cooperating with the case against Bradfield, yeah. and her arrest in this scheme did the trick so she was just one of many witnesses who testified in the trial as a jury found him guilty on august 3rd 1981 and he was sentenced to up to two years in jail for this. wow mm -hmm. so impressed so, over here yes all right on the sixth anniversary of her death june 25th 1985 this might come a little out of left field but i mentioned him earlier Principal Jay Smith was charged with Reinhardt's murder. What? The principal? The one that said she was so great? Yes. Three years after her fiancé, William Bradfield, had been charged and convicted with conspiracy to commit three murders, even though the bodies of the children had never been found. I was about to ask about the kids. Yes. So, and again, remember how a while ago I told you not to forget about the other bodies that had gone missing at this time? 
Oh. Yes. So these were not the only bodies that were never found. About a year earlier, Smith, his daughter, okay, the principal's daughter, Stephanie, Mm -hmm. and her husband, Edward Hunsberger, both said to be heroin addicts, went missing. Mm, Sneaky. Yes. So they had moved in with Smith in an attempt to get clean, Mm -hmm. but were unsuccessful. For years, rumors abounded that Smith may have killed all four of these missing persons, while other rumors said that the Hunsbergers were actually raising the Reinhardt children in some obscure location. What the fuck? Oh my god, that would be so strange. That That sounds like a scary movie to me. That's a very conspiracy theory take, but mm-hmm. it was definitely a rumor. I'm here for it. So let's discuss this principal guy, right? Okay. Even before Susan Reiner was murdered, Principal Jay Smith, who actually left the school a year before Susan's disappearance, found himself in trouble both with the law and with his school colleagues. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... He was nicknamed at school the Prince of Darkness. Um, excuse me, Severus Snape. <laughs> what? Is he into some fucking dungeon and dragons? Oh my god. I'm like, that really, like, honestly, out of everything you've told me so far, that really got to me. As it should. As it should. Wait. He was nicknamed. The Please prince tell of me he darkness. had like an emo haircut. <laughs> the, an emo hair swoop with the bangs over. Yeah, walking around telling kids to get in class with his <laughs> with his hair swoop. Hair flip? No. He was not. He was actually a veteran. He was in the military. He was oh, in the gosh. Air Force. Okay. So you'll see pictures of him later. He looks very much like he was in the military. Prince of Darkness. Go on. Yes. So, his unusual personality was often the topic of discussion in the faculty lounge. I bet it was. Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) After these murders, though, the rumor mill went into overdrive with tales of teachers involved in swinging sex parties (gasps) and devil worship. Oh, oh my God. and, And allegations that Smith had buried chopped up body parts on the school grounds. Shut the fuck up. And had buried, I'm sorry, and had burned bodies in the school incinerator. <gasps> the school had an incinerator? Where is a school incinerator? That was my question too. Oh my God. It's like an Why does a school turn into a school? Like... <laughs> right. Why does a high school need an incinerator? Maybe because it's cold up there. I don't know. I honestly don't know shit about incinerators, except that you can get rid of bodies that way. <laughs> okay, any of you people who live in the north, do you have incinerators in your schools? <laughs> we go to school down here where it's hotter than the devil's butthole, so we don't ever yeah. need any and type of incinerator. One, do you have incinerators in your schools? And then two, does your Prince of Darkness principal visit them often? <laughs> the Prince of Darkness principal. <laughs> <laughs> honestly... Now, even though you said a vet, get a clean cut, all I can see is, like, Severus Snape. Principal Prince of Darkness. hmm Yes. So, there were a lot of rumors that he was chopping up body parts, burying them on school grounds, and or burning them in school incinerator, which may or may not exist. Oh, my God. Anyone who lives up north for real, let us know. Yeah. Inquiring I'm, minds. like, curious as fuck. 
Okay. So, but like I said, Smith had come to the attention of law enforcement way before Reinhardt was murdered. Okay. On August 19th, 1978, Smith was arrested at the Gateway Shopping Center in Chester County after police were answering a 911 call to the scene for suspicious activity. Found in his Ford Granada were several loaded handguns, <gasps> a hooded mask, and a syringe filled with morphine. Morphine. Oh, my God. Nothing to see here. Yes. Nope. Just doing some several... shopping at my local JCPenney. <laughs> Just <laughs> my hooded mask and my handguns. Wow. And he had several other items described by police as burglary and robbery tools. Okay. Smith tried to explain away the devastating evidence, saying that he had the guns because he needed to scare off people who were harassing him. Okay, Prince of Darkness, I'm not buying it. <laughs> and then he also said that the drugs must have belonged to his daughter and son-in-law, who were heroin addicts. Who have gone missing by this point. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, yeah, because that totally makes sense. They planted this on me right before they skipped town. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, I don't know. Actually, not sure if they're, they've disappeared yet, but they are soon to disappear. Okay. I think this was probably a year before they disappeared. So it was believable, but still. Why would they be in the trunk of your car? I don't believe it. I don't find it believable at all. I mean. Mm -mm. Not buying it. Mm-mm. Next. It's a no for me. <laughs> a search of Smith's home revealed even more secrets and evidence, including more drugs and guns. Oh, God. Security guard uniforms and badges. <gasps> what? A slew, a slew of pornography. Mm -hmm. Much of which dealt with bestiality. Ew. Okay, G fucking gross. Get away from me. Prince of Darkness in is right. Indeed. Also found were four gallons of nitric acid and office equipment. All allegedly stolen from Upper Marion Area High School. I mean, like, oh, man. He could okay. explain away the porn. He would be like, I'm just a fucking weirdo. But the rest of it, like, honestly, I don't know how he could ever. Like, okay, when you say multiple security guard outfits, like, I'm thinking, like, first of all, I was like, is he into, like, dressing up? And then I was like, no, maybe he's, like, a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody has... Unless they're an actual security guard who is contracted to work in different places, no one has multiple security guard outfits. Well, I mean, some people might if that's their thing, but... Well, unless they're like little sexy security guard outfits. <laughs> let me... But that's... Let me let you in. Need my pass. Beep. <laughs> let you in after hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me get my big stick. <laughs> <laughs> but I doubt that the Prince of Darkness had some little sexy <laughs> guard outfit. Mm-mm, girl. No, he didn't. They were just regular old Paul Blart security oh, outfits. Oh, God. The <laughs> mall cop. <laughs> yes, yes. That's what he had. He had, like, he literally had, like, mall cop security outfits. So weird. Okay. That is fucking weird. Okay, another question I have. Why does a school have gallons of nitric acid? Yeah. 
that also what's going on with these schools what's happening what are you here? guys doing up north do you need the nitric acid to run this the incinerator yeah. are you is that what you, maybe that's what they did in the 70s with bad kids they just threw them into vats of acid probably i mean honestly oh god i don't know my head is like <laughs> spinning right now because i, I cannot you. even like think of a plausible scenario why one person would need to have all of these things with them, plus a nickname, the Prince of Darkness. I can't get over it. To be fair, he did not give himself that nickname. It sure, was given he didn't. Sure, I bet he liked it. Mm -hmm. He probably sent in an anonymous email. <laughs> hey, everybody, you should start calling <laughs> Principal Smith the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> uh, that's Forward exactly what to I all would faculty. do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how you get a nickname for yourself. Obviously. So anyway, everyone calls me bitch. So the ensuing investigation eventually linked Smith to armed robberies at two Sears stores <gasps> in, in St. David's and at the Neshaminy Mall. Okay. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I think that's correct. The Neshaminy Mall. It sounds right. Go with it. On both cases, the robber had been dressed in a bank security guard uniform and pretended he was there to pick up the day's receipts. Mm. This dude is batshit crazy. Obviously. What in the world gives you the balls to do something like this? I don't even know. I don't even know where to buy security guard outfits. Right. Like, I thought last case for the Cheshire murders that breaking into cars during the day was ballsy. But, I mean, this dude has got, like, some... What? Mega balls. Yeah. Mega, mega balls. The mega power balls. balls. <laughs> power balls. <laughs> That's one power ball I do not want to win. Exactly. Same girl. Mm -mm. Mega millions of bad ideas. <laughs> Plot twist. This is actually a story about me a few years ago. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Oh, God. My stomach. Okay. So... Smith went on trial in March 1979, and among his defense witnesses was none other than William Bradfield. Okay, so let me ask you this. What did they have, other than all this other weird shit surrounding him, to tie him to Susan's murder and the, the children's disappearances? Well, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. Bradfield offered him an alibi and the jurors apparently did not buy it because they found Smith guilty. And he was let free on bail while he was appealing his conviction. Oh, God. Yes. So almost four years now after Susan Reinhardt's death, her fiancé, Bradfield, was arrested and charged with the three murders on April 6, 1983. What? Testimony during the trial included details about Reinhardt's will and her belief that the two would be married, as well as Bradford's conversation with friends in which he professed his concern for Reinhardt that Smith might kill her. Wait, oh my god, okay. Why would he want to kill her, though? I don't know. That's, this was apparently... I. The way I see it is that he's kind of like trying to cover his tracks almost. So he's been having these conversations with people saying, Oh, like, okay. Yeah, I'm afraid for her because I think Smith wants to kill her. But like, did he have a reason? Like. I don't know. That would be so strange. That would be like, 
me coming to Austin to kidnap your dogs, like, for no reason, like, just, like, randomly. It is strange. And in none of the testimony did any witness say that Bradfield talked about any of these concerns for her life, either with Reinhardt herself or any law enforcement officers. Yeah. So he never discussed this actually with her or with anyone who could do anything about it. Okay. And although Smith was not on trial at the time and would, in fact, not even be charged with the murders for another two years, much of the state's testimony connected evidence between Reinhardt and Smith, including a hair from Susan Reinhardt, which was matching one that was taken from Smith's house. Oh, the lone as hair. A, a lone hair, yes, as well as a comb found in the car under Reinhardt's body that was stamped with the insignia of Smith's Air Force unit. <gasps> okay, that's weird, and that's incriminating. It is. The defense later proved, though, that while this comb seemed really damaging at first, it was actually discovered that hundreds of copies of that exact same comb had been given out at a promotional event by the Air Force. Ugh. Okay. Right. But, like, his exact one? Yes. Okay. Hmm. So, in fact, little of the physical evidence in the case connected Bradfield to the actual murder at all. Instead, the state had sought to connect Bradfield to Smith and suggested that the two had been involved in a conspiracy to kill Reinhardt. Okay, like, maybe, like, if you kill her, I'll give you some of the money. Yeah, we can split the money if you help me get rid of her. Okay. And her children, they were arguing, were just victims of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, God, that is just so fucking sad. I know. So, on the advice of his defense attorney, Bradfield never testified in his own defense. And on October 28th, 1983, he was found guilty on three counts of conspiracy to commit murder and was sentenced to three life sentences to be served consecutively. Okay, but, like, what else did they have on him, like, to tie him to Smith? So, I mean, like, I understand that, like, the money and the life insurance and, like, their tumultuous relationship linked Bradford to Susan. And then the, the hair was linked to Smith, right? And then yes. maybe they just kind of linked the two because Smith was a criminal? They linked the two because Bradfield had been telling everyone okay. that he was afraid that Smith was going to kill her. Okay, this case is like literally a roller coaster, and it's hard yes. to keep up. <laughs> it is, yes, but good clarification, because it is confusing. So, while he was serving his sentence at Greaterford Prison, Bradfield tutored fellow inmates and helped them file appeals. And he died... Yeah, he died in January of 1998 of a heart attack at the age of 64. He never admitted any guilt, and he insisted that it was indeed Smith who committed the crimes. So let's go back to Smith for a second. While still in jail on robbery charges from a completely different crime, mm -hmm. okay, Smith was arrested for murder charges on June 25th, 1985, okay. which was the sixth anniversary of Reinhardt's murder. Okay. And although trying to blame Smith obviously didn't prove successful in Bradfield's trial, Smith's defense attorney, who was named William Costopoulos, sought to show that Smith was innocent of the murders and prove that he had, in fact, been framed by William Bradfield. Hmm. 
Okay. I'm interested. So, among the witnesses that were produced by prosecutors was a former police officer who was also in jail on burglary charges. Okay. Who claimed that Smith confessed the murders to him while they were both in jail. Oh, God. Okay. So, at the age of 58, Smith was found guilty on three counts of murder and sentenced to death. Oh, God. Yes. While he awaited his execution in a tiny, isolated cell on death row, his defense attorney, Costopoulos, filed an appeal, citing, among other things, prosecutorial misconduct. Just in time for Christmas 1989, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled Smith was entitled to a new trial, therefore ushering Smith off of death row. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, what caused that? Well, he filed an appeal that had prosecutorial misconduct. That was all that Costopoulos Costopoulos said that basically the prosecution was not behaving properly. His defense attorney, William Costopoulos, didn't stop there. He campaigned for a change to the state's double jeopardy law, and while it took three more years for the state Supreme Court to rule, it did so in Smith's favor. Oh, wow. And in late September of 1992, Smith was released from prison, still proclaiming his innocence. And now, 32 years later, the four victims remain unfound, and the fascination with the murder mystery continues even though both Smith and Bradfield have since died, each maintaining his own innocence while accusing the other of the murders. Oh, God. So they, like, had no evidence. It was, like, all, like, just kind of theories, right? So there was morphine, hair, witness accounts. The life insurance policy gives motive. Right. Yeah. I mean, that I can, that I can get. I understand. And I think what's crazy is that they never talked about in court the his missing daughter and her husband. Yeah. So they like never nobody ever that worried up? about them. They were just gone. Oh god. So, so I guess that was kind of a court of public opinion thing where it was just a rumor that he had done it, but they never brought up charges on him. Right. So still to this day they still never found the kids' bodies. They've still never found any of those four bodies, not the kids or his daughter, or his son-in-law. Oh, my God. Yes, and he died in May of 2009 at the age of 80 of a heart condition. So he is now dead. Of course he did. And no deathbed confession. (laughs) No selfish deathbed confession. See, I expected more from him. Mm -mm. All those guard outfits, I expected a deathbed confession. Which his right. might have actually taken to maybe have some merit to it. But I just find no. this case to be so strange. That poor woman, her poor kids. I have to ask, was Susan sexually assaulted? I didn't find anything that said that she was. Okay. It just said that she was really badly beaten. I need to go back and like double check and look at that. But I don't think that she was sexually assaulted. I think that she was just beaten. And I think that that fits in with the motive of murder for the inheritance. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It it wasn't like a, it was obviously personal, but it wasn't a crime of passion that involves like a need for power or something like that. It just seems like they wanted to get it done and they got it done really quickly. And 
And then as soon as he was in jail, 72 hours before he went on trial, he asked for the life insurance money. Yeah, and that's really, like, fucking strange to me. That's so weird. And just, oh, I don't know, just very sketchy. Right. Super and I, sketchy. I think that even though there wasn't a ton of, like, forensic evidence, it seems like there was enough circumstantial evidence to obviously sway the jury. Right. Into giving them a conviction, even though Smith ended up getting out of jail later anyway wow what a fucking ride yeah so this murder case was actually so high profile that four different books were written about it um most notably was a book called echoes in the darkness which was by a guy named joseph wambaugh and then they turned it into a miniseries which was produced on cbs and it features a guy named peter coyote oh didn't know who he was um robert loggia Okay. Logia, St- don't know. Sorry if I'm saying no. that wrong. Don't know who that is either. And Stockard Channing, who I do know, which is who played uh, the girl who played Rizzo from Greece. Oh, hey girl. Yeah, so she was she played Susan Reinhardt in the Made for TV miniseries. Okay. So if you're interested, I'm sure you can find those online. It's called Echoes in the Darkness. Um, yeah check those out for sure. Might have a lot more information than I was able to give in a short amount of time. Yeah. But definitely a twisting turning roller coaster of a case. Yeah. That's insane. Absolutely. I'm actually about to order the book. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I need to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I need you to read it and then report back to us. Okay, so all of your questions about evidence. There was a lot of stuff that had gone on that was really questionable during the trial that whenever they looked back, they realized that it could have been entered into evidence and it necessarily wasn't. So one of the things was that a pin with the letter P on it, like a pin that you would wear on your shirt, there was a pin that was reported that the daughter Karen wore all the time, Mm -hmm. and it was a a blue pin. Later, there was a similar pin pin that was found in Smith's car a year after the murders. A whole year? A year, yes, after the murders. And then also, they didn't even use, so if we go back and talk about the comb, they didn't even use the the correct comb in the trial because fingerprints were lifted off of the original comb, but when they went to use that comb for the trial, the bag was unsealed. So a lot of evidence wasn't actually presented in court. It seems like a lot of it had been tampered with or a lot of it was missing or things were just not the way that they were supposed to be. So mm-hmm. it was almost like they kind of picked and choose what was going to be shown and what wasn't shown in the way that they wanted it to be seen. Right, which is, I mean, like, although I do believe these men are guilty as folk, that's still, you know, like not the proper way to do it. No, for sure. And then there was even other stuff that was really weird, like um, the 911 tape that was sent in whenever they originally found Susan's body. Mm-hmm. That The 911 recording was destroyed for some reason. And the autopsy tape that was recorded during um, Susan's autopsy wasn't found. It had been lost, and then it wasn't found until a year after the trial. Okay, that's sketchy. Yeah, so the... Um, 
Costopoulos, the defense attorney, he had all of this overturned because he was arguing that the Commonwealth was consistently losing or destroying materials. Yeah, I mean... That should have been evidence. Right. It sounds like they really kind of screwed themselves. Even though, like, both men went to prison, you know, it sounds like they didn't do... They didn't do this case justice. They didn't do Susan and her children justice by bringing forth all the information or maybe not even looking through all of the avenues that they could have. For sure. And it definitely opens up, you know, that seed of doubt. Like, you you know how they say in court you can't convict someone unless it's beyond, you know, unless you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But there are doubts now. Yeah. You know, what happened to this autopsy? Why were the bags unsealed? Was someone messing with them? Was someone adding evidence, taking it out? Right. How come we never heard about the pen that was found in the car? Right. You know, so... It's, Absolutely. It, while it's like, yeah, these two dudes were super sketchy and they had all the reason in the world to do this, we don't know for sure if that's what really happened because a lot of stuff was messed up. And because of the stuff being messed up, that guy was able to go free for the end of his life. Right. Oh, my gosh. This case is a complete nightmare. <laughs> yeah, from start to finish, it's just all over the place. So, and originally, whenever I was looking it up, it was called the Reinert Murders. But then whenever I kept looking, um, I think it was the Twisted Philly podcast that actually referred to it as the Mainline Murders because... The other two bodies of the daughter and the son-in-law were also never found. I don't know. That's so weird to me. I wonder if they're in the school. And then incinerator. Know. Oh my gosh. I wonder if they ever Is the school still open? I don't know. I didn't check on that. Does anybody go to this school? When was it? Upper Marion? Yeah. Yeah, Upper Marion High School. I don't know. I wonder if they ever went and checked. I know they said that some of the materials were stolen from the school because they were missing right but i don't know if they ever checked the school for evidence especially with all that nitric acid you know it's so easy to i mean from what i hear it's easy to like dissolve bodies in acid so i'm wondering (laughs) if maybe that's what this prince of darkness was up to oh prince of darkness what dissolving bodies tell us your secrets but I feel like this woman, I feel like Susan and her two kids and even Smith's daughter and her husband, they deserve some justice. I mean, they deserve to be found and put to rest. I mean, Susan was put to rest, but she doesn't have her kids. Right. And we might never know what happened to them because it's a big world out there and it's just, it's just crazy. Hey y'all, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Gals and Gore. Um, We are so happy to have you. Please go and find us at Apple Podcasts and please give us a rating and a review. We would appreciate it so, so much. Yes, we would definitely love a review on Apple Podcasts so people can find us and they can start seeing us. And um, we hope it's a good review, but we're not going to tell you what to do. Just leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. You can also go on our website or you can send us an email at Gals and Gore on Instagram or our email is galsandgore at gmail.com and you can request a case that you want to hear us talk about and we will present the case, we'll talk about it, 
we will say that you presented it to us and we will do it justice we promise yeah. so we've had some people contact us and say that they're interested in specific cases and if that's you there is a suggest a case section on our website at galsandgore.wixsite.com slash podcast or you can email to us at galsandgore at gmail.com and all of our information for this week's podcast will be posted on instagram on our facebook page and we'd love to hear from you we're so glad that you listened to another week's episode and we cannot wait until next week when we get to see you again and talk to you about more creepy stuff yes thank you guys boy She yet. She yet. She yet. She yet.